It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. Here on This Might Get Uncomfortable, we sometimes have days where we need to pack the episodes in to our schedules and just kind of cram it in like shoehorning a shoe at the shoe store, making it fit. We're doing that today. We have a day where Whitney and I, myself, it's kind of lots of appointments and lots of things. There's therapy, there's eye doctor. None of this matters. We're just giving you context for our day because it feels like we're just sitting down having coffee with you, dear listener. Hopefully we can all do that soon. As we do, if you are joining us for the first time, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, Whitney and myself are very much voracious, voracious researchers. That's hard to say, voracious researchers. There's a lot of shish, shish, shish with that statement. In that, we come across a lot of articles and we will text each other and say, this would be great to talk about on the podcast. And in our research, we come across phrases that are used in the lexicon of society that are, we're sometimes unfamiliar with. And today we are going to talk about a phrase that I had not heard until I read this article on medium.com. And if you've never been on Medium, there are these sort of sub channels where authors will create thematic channels based on certain subjects I want to write about. So this one is actually from aninjusticemag.com. Aninjusticemag.com. We'll link to this article and that website via Medium in our show notes at wellevator.com. If you haven't been to our website yet, it's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. We will link to the articles, anything we mention in this episode in the transcript in the show notes, and also include the link to the YouTube version of this video if you want to look at my facial expressions and how Whitney reacts to things that I say and how I react to things she says. It makes it a more immersive experience. All of that being said, the article on aninjusticemag.com, which again is found through Medium, got to me because it used a term called financial gaslighting. Now, gaslighting, as far as I understand it, is sort of trying to, you know, devalue someone's perception of reality by creating a completely alternate set of facts or an alternate reality that takes away any value their perspective has. Like, you're not crazy, sweetheart. I'm definitely not cheating on you. You're insane. Why would you think that? I mean, those are very mild versions, but gaslighting is basically invalidating someone's perspective in reality. Or convincing somebody that their reality isn't the reality. Right, which is also invalidating, right? I mean, in either case, it's basically saying like, whatever your perspective or reality, mine is more important and mine is the truth. And we see this a lot in political arenas. We see it happened a lot with conspiratorial theories. We did a whole episode on conspiracy theories we can link to in the show notes. We've talked about gaslighting in different contexts, but I've never heard financial gaslighting. So the headline or the subline of this article is, and this is what got me, we can't afford to live anymore and the rich are gaslighting us. So this was written by an author named Jessica Wildfire. She's got a lot of really interesting sociopolitical articles and again, you know, I don't want to read the entire article because that would take up the whole episode. It's more like I want to extract chunks and bounce this between Whitney and myself to dig in. But this idea of financial gaslighting, for a little bit of context, is looking at how 
people that we regard as having it all together. And in this example, the author talks about one of her friends she was having coffee with a few years ago. And this person who apparently is a tenured professor at Oxford and has major books and has done very well, she speaks at conferences, basically told her, the author, I love my kids, but from a financial standpoint, I regret having them. And so she gets into the commonality of this, of how there's an increasing amount of shame for successful adults who are doing well financially to say that they can't really afford the lives they're living. And so getting into the socioeconomic factors of this real quick before I bounce it to you, Whitney, and we've talked about how in a lot of cases, the cost of goods and the cost of living has exceeded income over the past 10 to 15 years in the United States and many places around the world. She reflects that. She says, here's something that might surprise you. The average cost of living in the United States far exceeds the average income of most professionals. We're talking about nurses, social workers, firefighters, police officers, teachers, pediatricians, even engineers, she says. And she looks at the basic cost of living and how because the cost of living has gone up between goods and services, rent, mortgages, etc., that households with two incomes used to be able to spend cash on things like vacations, private school tuition, and those things aren't really happening. So two years ago, the New York Times did an article on the average incomes and expenses of American parents with two children. And time and time again, Whitney, they found that the people they surveyed for this New York Times article, even with two incomes, professional adults with these incomes, barely had enough cash to survive month to month. Because as professionals, they were paying $500 to $2,000 a month for childcare and different expenses. So Again, looking back from 1995 through 2017, there's a graph that we'll link to via the New York Times showing how education costs have gone up 180%, housing costs have gone up 150%, healthcare 130%, while the median income has only gone up to about 118%, right? So we're seeing that all of these costs of living are far outstripping the rise in income since 1995 through 2017. And it's interesting because basically she's saying that starting a family now is a luxury. And there's an income calculator that the author wanted to see how much it was going to cost to raise her daughter, an estimate, right? And it was $300,000, $300,000, the average cost to raise a child from birth through age 18. And again, I don't want to you know necessarily get into all of this. And before we talk about financial gaslighting, it's just kind of setting up this parameter that the average adult is barely surviving, the professional adult, again, a teacher, an engineer, doctor, et cetera. And this is interesting, Whitney, because I think it flies in the face of what we assume and what we see on social media of a lot of people purporting a life that is like, yeah, I have it all together and we're doing great. But statistically, and according to this research, it's showing that people are just scraping by. And I'm curious to how that hits you, if that's surprising or if that's something you're like, well, yeah, that's kind of what I expected. Like when you hear about most professional adults, two income adult households just barely getting by, how does that hit you? What's your reaction to that? It's interesting mainly because most of us only really know what's going on in our own lives because finances are kept pretty low key. And sometimes people will talk about not having a lot of money, but that's so relative. So what one person perceives as not a lot of money and barely getting by, another person will could see those exact numbers and think like, wow, that's actually a lot of money. 
And I think it's fascinating from a psychological standpoint, really how we view what it means to have money or not, like what it means to be rich, right? So I'm more interested in that side of it. And I, yeah, I mean, I'm not fully, the words aren't really coming out super well on this, but I guess I'm not surprised. I really enjoy seeing statistics, but it really is super relative because there's so many factors. Factors such as how much money you're making, how much money you're saving. Do you have debt? Do you have high living expenses? I mean, so much is taken into consideration. Another thing that I've heard is there's a big difference for like 20-year-old or something, someone in their 20s, their parents might be helping them out financially. And that might be the case for people of all different ages. Somebody could have an inheritance. Somebody could have financial assistance of some sort. There's just so many factors. So even just like looking at somebody in the way that they're living, we feel tempted to make an assumption because we're basically putting ourselves in their shoes based on our personal perceptions of money. And I think that that's where it starts to get really dangerous and really important for people to speak up and find ways to communicate where they're at financially versus making assumptions or feeling like they have to live the way someone else is living. As we've talked about many times on this show, just because you have a certain amount of money doesn't mean that you're happy. It might mean that you're more comfortable. I think that that's a general thing that many of us can understand as a concept is that when you have more money, it allows you to pay for resources that could lead you to feeling perhaps less anxious, for example. But just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean that you don't experience anxiety. I mean, there's only so much therapy and medications or herbal remedies or what treatments, all of these things can do to help and anxiety can go really deep. So I think that's part of this conversation too, is there you have to examine so many different factors to understand how money is affecting somebody. And we can't assume, even this idea of barely scraping by could literally be very different between two people. Because maybe that means that you're not able to do some things that you'd really like to do. But for someone else, it literally means that they don't have enough money to pay for their bills. But then you wonder, well, could you move? Could you switch things around? Because like the circumstances play such a big role when it comes to money. And that's something that I've been fascinated about for a long time and really reflect a lot on. I'm very conscious about how I speak about money because I know that a lot of the things that are happening in my life have happened based on my choices. And then some of those things have been based on circumstances that are fully in my control, like how I was raised, how I was taught about money, where I went to school, the privilege of going to the school that I wanted to go to, the passion and interest I had about money. Like there's so many factors about all of this that need to be taken into consideration. Ultimately, I don't think we're that equal as human beings because there's just too many variables that could happen in terms of money. So you could give the exact same money to the exact same, I mean, you could give the exact same amount of money to a few different people and their experience of it is going to be very, very different based on all these different variables. I think it's interesting to dig even deeper into this article, Whitney, because to your point, you know, the research and the studies they reference are not getting into the minutia and the nitty gritty of, say, the demographics. And I think you bring up a valid point. 
struggle and a hardship for someone who is at the poverty line or below will perhaps substantively feel and look very different than someone who is a billionaire who is worth, say, $5 billion and loses three of it due to a financial market crash, who is still a billionaire, right? I mean, this is all extremely relative to your point based on a variety of circumstances. The thing in this article that, again, by and large, not just setting up the premise here of the cost of housing, living, transportation, goods, food has been outpacing and exponentially increasing greater than the median wages. It gets to the point of this article about the financial gaslighting, and that's really kind of the hub of what I want to discuss today. And I want to read a little bit from Jessica's article because she says, the wealthy engage in financial gaslighting. And this is done in response to people who are not, quote, wealthy. I don't know if you want to call those middle class or lower class or people at the poverty line, but the section of this article talks about what wealthy people say to people that are struggling. So that's what I want to say in the context of this gaslighting. So again, gaslighting is when you construct a fake reality to excuse yourself from your own potentially sinister actions and behaviors, and abusers do it all the time. She purports that hoarding wealth is a kind of abuse that the wealthy inflict on the entire world. To excuse it and their behaviors, they construct a series of lies that allow them to blame everyone for their own financial problems. It's pretty easy to distract someone from systemic inequality and make them feel guilty about their financial situation that's not completely their own fault. You just have to talk about flat screen TVs and smartphones, even if those make up a tiny fraction of someone's monthly budget. You call them lazy and tell them they spend way too much time watching their favorite shows on Netflix. The wealthy browbeat them for not investing in stocks or not pouring money into volatile assets. And the wealthy shame them for working meaningful jobs that contribute something to civilization instead of becoming rich so they can somewhat opt out of the economy altogether. You accuse them of resenting wealth and then tell them they have a poor attitude toward money or maybe they're a bad manifester, whatever that means. Then you pump them full of fairy tales, tell them about how someone made a fortune from nothing. Then finally you tell them that money doesn't matter and that no amount of it will ever make them happy until they learn to love themselves. This works wonders because it confuses the hell out of people, sufficiently gaslighting someone over their finances, and then they don't know what to think anymore. And that is the point. Interesting. She said there's millions of desperate people out there. If they have a job, it doesn't pay enough most times. And here's the advice that they're getting from wealthy people. Invest in stocks. Start a side hustle or two. Go viral on social media. Start your own company and become an entrepreneur. Or just spend money. Spend less money, rather. The author says, no offense, but all of this sounds kind of like throwing a drowning person a paddle made out of lead. It might look helpful in a caption, but it's actually not. It does nothing but shift responsibilities from government and economic structures to overwhelmed, overburdened individuals. Last point I'll make for a second. It's great to make extra income off a side hustle or turn your talents into a job that doesn't exist yet. And it's great to be exceptional, but being exceptional by definition means that not everyone can be. You don't solve poverty and wage gaps by expecting everyone to be a genius. So let's get real for a minute. The economy needs baristas. It needs cashiers. It needs servers and farmers. Society needs police officers and school teachers. It needs nurses and it needs social workers. When someone gaslights them about their financial situation because they can't pay their bills, they're pretending that we can live in a world without them. The truth is, 
we need these kind of people far more than we need lifestyle vloggers or social media influencers. The solution to widespread financial desperation isn't to turn everyone into millionaires and YouTubers and Instagram models. It's to pay them more. And that's the end of the article. Now, this is interesting, Wit. And before I bounce the tennis ball back to you, I've heard this kind of language from specific people we know. Like the reason that I wanted to bring this article up is not just to have a discourse about the mechanics of the mindset around money, but I've heard some of these phrases from people you and I know who are wealthy, okay? They're like, yeah, you know, you just really have a bad attitude around money and I think it's like limiting you and I really think that you just have a toxic attitude and you really need to like meditate on it and you know, maybe you should work with this financial person and like get a healthier attitude around money and blah 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 and you're just not really a good manifester. I've heard these phrases from people. And every time they phrase it, I walk away from these conversations feeling a strange mixture of emotions. On one hand, I'm like, well, maybe I am a bad manifester. Maybe I do have a bad attitude around money. Maybe it's my fault, right? But then on the other hand, sometimes I want to punch them in the face because I'm like, it's really easy for you to say when you've lived the lifestyle you've lived and you've had the privilege you've had and you've had the advantages you've had to look at everyone else and go like, yeah, you just have a bad attitude around it. You should really change your mindset. And there's a few people in particular in my life that I realize that they're coming from a perspective that doesn't take in all of the variables you mentioned, Whitney. It doesn't take in how we grew up, our family's attitude around money, whether or not we grew up in poverty and had to struggle. It doesn't take into account certain advantages of your color, your race, your ethnicity, your religion. Again, so many factors. But I'm bringing this up because I've heard these phrases from people, Whitney, and it seems like I don't know why people say shit like that. Is it because on some level they want to help you or they want to shame you or both? And I'm curious if you've been on the receiving end of some of these gaslighting phrases and what your emotional response is to this. Certainly I have. And I've gone all different perspectives on finances over the years. And one article I want to reference that I was just looking up when researching this term financial gaslighting is on a website, Financial Fairness for Singles. And I will put a link to it. It's really in depth. It was written in 2018. And one part that I thought was really interesting was a quote from this woman or this person, actually, I don't know if it's a woman, Shay Emma Fett, who said, I believe that gaslighting is happening culturally and interpersonally on an unprecedented scale. And that this gaslighting is the result of a societal framework where we pretend everyone is equal while trying simultaneously to preserve inequality. And the article goes on to say that a huge reason that this is happening is because of the lack of critical and balanced thinking on how financial issues affect segments of society. There's a lot of gaslighting when it comes to the middle class, when it comes to married people, when it comes to families with children. Clearly, this website is centered around single people being perceived as equal. And that's really interesting, too, actually, that this article goes through gaslighting of the disadvantaged. And there's a lot of really interesting points here. One of them, going back to something you said, Jason, is this idea that the poor create their own poverty, when in fact, poverty is created for most people, and they are forced deeper into poverty by decisions and policies of the wealthy, right-leaning politicians and society in general. So to your point, not all of this is within our control. I think many of us are raised to believe it. 
many of us want to believe that we have control, but there certainly are a lot of policies and there's a lot of just societal frameworks that we have. I mean, you brought up social media and it's being so deep in this world of influencer marketing and social media marketing, like it's not so simple. And I think there are a lot of people that are attracted, as we've spoken about a lot of times, like they want to find a simple solution, a simple definition of something. They want to believe something. And then people who get some sort of reward for perpetuating that will continue to perpetuate these ideas like, oh, if you want to be successful, all you have to do is X, Y, Z. I mean, I see this all the time. It's no secret to anyone who listens to the show regularly that I spend time on TikTok. And TikTok is always interesting to me because it's a fascinating view on society. And you'll see different sides of things like this conversation, like, but kind of unrelated, but related to my point here is weight loss. For example, you see people that are promoting body positivity and saying, you don't have to weigh a certain amount in order to be beautiful, in order to be respected and loved. And yet society, you know, right now at least does reward people for being thin. There's thin privilege. And we are Some people, I should say, are kind of fighting against that and advocating for body positivity and acceptance of people of all sizes and all different types of appearances. But then there are people perpetuating it. You know, every time I go on TikTok, I'll see both sides. I'll see the women that are like, you don't need to wear makeup. You don't have to look a certain way. And then I'll also see people that are perpetuating the weight loss secrets and the makeup techniques and the skincare routines. And it's all part of that capitalistic viewpoint of you changing yourself so that you can be appreciated. And speaking of finances, on that note, Jason, I sent you that TikTok last night of this woman who tallied up how much money she spends a year to maintain her appearance. And I think that the total was about $30,000. And then if you read the comments, people were asking her, about what she does for a living. And she says nothing. She's a stay-at-home wife and her husband's paying for all that, which, you know, different story, but basically her husband's paying for $30,000 worth of beauty-related expenses so that she can maintain her appearance for him. And then ultimately she says, I don't even feel that satisfied with how I look. And it's like, oh my God, what world do we live in? That's capitalism right there. Like constantly trying to convince us that we don't look good enough. So we spend all of this money. Where do we even get this money? That money could go to so many other places. And so many people do not have $30,000 to spend on themselves. And yet they're being fed these messages from the media, from social media, from other people that they need to keep up all the time. And it's so sickening, right? So I think the gaslighting you can see in elements of this where it's just so incredibly confusing. And we don't talk openly enough about money. So many of us have no concept of what other people are spending and how much they're making. And the other point I wanted to say is that in terms of financial equality, like that's really challenging. Because especially in the industry that we are in as content creators and in the social media field, None of us even know how much to charge for anything. It's all it's all made up, all made up. I mean, it is so confusing because there's no union, there's no like standard rates. It's all made up every single time. 
So I don't even know if I'm getting paid fairly or not. I don't know if I'm getting more or less or about how much I should make because there really is no should. And and that's incredibly confusing. And then you wonder how many other jobs are like that? Like, where do they even determine how much somebody should be making? Not to mention all the factors of are people being discriminated financially against for their age, for their gender, for their race, for, you know, their education, like all these other factors that go into it. Like money, it just doesn't, there's not really a lot of equality that I see when it comes to money because of all of these different positions that each of us are in. It just feels like one big mess. I, well, it is a mess. And to your point, Whitney, and to the article's point about the systems that have been structured and the laws that have been enacted to give a disproportionate financial advantage to people that have different assets. For example, right? If someone is a homeowner, they get a different set of deductions on their annual taxes. They can take out a home equity loan to fund other things in their life, like buy a car or improve the home. If you are married and you're a homeowner, you get even more deductions because you get the deductions on the mortgage payments, you get the home equity that you can access, and then you also get different deductions by being in a union, in a married union, right? So yeah, different people get different advantages because the laws and the economic inequality is structured that way. Well, what does this mean? This puts pressure on people, doesn't it? Because if you're like, well, if I want to really take advantage of all of like the economic loopholes in society, well, shit, there's all, all this pressure to buy a house now. And I better buy it in a quote, nice neighborhood. So I have even more equity in the house and it appreciates more. And oh man, I feel all this pressure to get married because we'll get these huge tax deductions. It'll be better for us. I'll be able to put them on the insurance. I mean, if you think about it, society in many ways is pushing us into certain structures because we feel more protected and we feel like, and it's true, you can grow your wealth differently. If you're a homeowner and you're in a married situation and you you know, have stocks, as we're talking about, and all these things that the rich gaslight people that don't have these things, but then the barriers to entry are there, right? Because as an example, in the LA market, you know, real estate is still one of the ways that wealthy people build their wealth. You buy a property whether it's a commercial or it's residential, and you rent it out, right? And you make passive income that way. But the thing that's happening here in LA and in different cities that I keep reading about is basically that the middle class is being eradicated. Like it's just being destroyed in the sense that friends that are going and looking at houses who have the ability with a down payment and credit to buy a house are getting outbid by people who are coming and paying cash, like millions of dollars for house in cash. So it's like if you are a person who even has even the, the slightest amount of ability based on your credit history, based on having a down payment, having income, in many cities, you can't even buy a house because ultra wealthy people and investors are coming in and just paying cash, paying cash, paying cash. It's, so the point is, is like the wealthy in many ways are squeezing everyone else out of the asset class because unless you have the liquidity and the cash to do it, in many situations, you can't even do it. You can't even become an investor. And I'm not saying this to like be in you know, victim consciousness. This is like what's fucking happening in the world right now. And it's becoming difficult to take advantage of these laws and these systems because they're skewed to keep giving the wealthy more and more and more and more and more. And what happens? When you transfer all this wealth and all of these assets, like artwork, like stocks, like IRAs, like property, like houses, it's almost like this mutant Pac-Man, Whitney, that just keeps gobbling and gobbling and gobbling, gobbling. And then you get this giant creature that 
kind of can't be stopped. And I think then the question is, right, what do we do about this? Because it's not like really ultra wealthy people are going to be like, oh, we'll just stop gobbling up assets and making all this money. Here you go, people. Have some money. Like, you know, they had this interesting, I think it was Robert Reich posted about how Jeff Bezos could, I think, give every single American like a $4,000 check and still have as much money as he had before the pandemic started. But who's going to do that? There's no billionaire that's going to do that. They don't want to get rid of it. So then what do we do? Like, you know, we've talked briefly in the past about universal basic income of, you know, giving people under a certain amount of income each year a monthly stipend, right? Of just, this is what you're going to live on. I think some of the principles of universal basic income are really, really interesting. And some people might say, well, that's socialism and that that's going to create you know a bad structure of society. We need to keep things capitalist. Well, the people who say things, we should keep things the way they are, are the ones who are benefiting from it. That's why they don't want things to change, right? And so I think you know, from a solution perspective, there's UBI, there's universal basic income. Bernie Sanders introduced an interesting piece of legislation that I don't know is going to go anywhere that basically said, you know, once you reach a certain income bracket, which I think is up to a billion dollars, anything beyond that, we're basically going to take that money and donate it back into social programs and the underprivileged and people in poverty. Like once you get to $1 billion, you're cut off. You can't make any more money beyond that. And of course, you know, capitalists were going absolutely apeshit over this. There's no fucking way. We can't limit people. But if we're talking really, like, honestly, Whitney, you know, you get to $1 billion, you're good. You're good. Why do you need a hundred billion fucking dollars? If you can't live on one billion, you have a serious fucking problem. You have a serious fucking problem. Now, you know, some people might, you know, view my comments as like, well, you're throwing the wealthy under the bus and you're hating. No, I think greed is the issue. I don't know that, you know, wealth per se is the issue here, Whitney. I think more specifically, it's inequality and it's greed. It's not wealth, it's inequality and greed. Right. That to me, in my mind, that's the more specific issue with all this. And, you know, the thing that I wonder is, you know, what's it going to take to tip the scales back into a more equal distribution of resources in our world? You know, that's why I brought up UBI. That's why I brought why I brought up the taxation of the ultra wealthy. Because I think if this keeps going the way that it's going with, it's going to result in not a great society. Really, it is because there's going to be a small group of people with a ton of money and a ton of assets and a ton of land and a ton of property, and then everyone else who's just fighting like crabs in a barrel to survive. And I don't think that that's a healthy way to construct society. Really, it's not because it creates desperation, it creates sickness, it creates mental health issues. So I don't know that I have an answer. And to the listener, we often don't have answers. Our episodes are generally an exploration of these topics, but. My concern, Whitney, is that if this keeps going, it's going to have massive unhealthy implications for the rest of humans in society who are not in the wealthy class. Like it's going to do serious damage to people. And that's my major concern with it, you know? Well, I don't know what else to say at this point. (laughs) Any final thoughts or solutions you might have off the top of your dome? (laughs) Certainly not solutions. I mean, this is, I'm not a financial expert, so it's really just trying to fend for myself. And that in itself is a lot of work. And I think having more compassion for other people and trying to understand what other people are going through is incredibly important. As we talk about often on this show, just recognizing that we can't make assumptions 
I mean, and judgments on others for how they spend their money, how they make their money. Even what I was saying about that woman, that the video I saw on TikTok, like, you know, if she feels comfortable spending $30,000 on beauty regiments and her husband wants to pay for that, like, it's not that I'm per se, like calling them out or anything. It's more the societal implications that that has. I don't have an issue with the individual doing whatever they want with their money. But the fact that there's so much pressure on us to spend money, to make money. I've sent you also videos and things that I've seen about how men are raised to believe that their worth is all based in their money. I mean, that's where so much of the issue lies, I think. And I'm trying to untether myself from that and set more clear boundaries that like just because somebody believes that I should live a certain way, do a certain thing, that's just their perception. That doesn't mean that what, how I'm living and how I'm doing things and the money I'm making and how I'm spending, it doesn't really have anything to do with those people. Those are just their opinions. You know, ultimately right now I've talked about in the show how I'm working my way out of debt. And I think about like, what will life be like? Is it going to be that different? But I also recognize that there's so much I don't even know. Like, I honestly, I probably know where I'm at till about halfway through this year. And then there's a big question mark. So (laughs) I go through so many ups and downs with money. I would love to stick to continue this goal, reach my goal, I should say, of paying off my debt by the end of the year, which I've talked about. And then I think about wow, it'd be so nice to have some more financial flexibility to donate to more charities. And I think about things like that, like how can I contribute beyond myself? Like once we take care of ourselves, once we put that proverbial oxygen mask on ourselves, then can we start to help others? Sometimes we can do both simultaneously, but it can be really tricky. And I think that a lot of us have gone through all sorts of challenging situations during the pandemic. And our government is going through a big transition right now that we we need to have patience around. And we also need to stand up for what we want and let our voices be heard. And I also don't think that we should judge people that have a lot of money. You know, like personally, I don't have a problem with Bill Gates and Elon Musk and whoever else. Like, listen, I'm not going to make this whole judgment about them being better than me. And I don't understand their finances. So who am I to say they should be donating money to other people or cutting us a check? Like, I don't know how that works. They somehow got to that place. And that's where, you know, they're making probably the best decisions that they can. Like, I personally see the best in other human beings and want to trust that they're not like some evil force out there that's selfish and keeping all the money to themselves, you know, like... I don't think that serves us to get into that mindset. It's like, I just want to stay in my own lane and focus on what I need to do to get by and help other people and try to understand and raise my awareness. But it's a lot. It's a lot to learn about money. I mean, it's like there's just so money is just truly complicated and it's very based in our emotions. And many of us are fighting against traumas and lack of education and overwhelm. And it's like, I just deep down believe most people are doing the best that they can with their money. And even the people that are doing shady things, you know, like for one thing that came up to my head was I went into my PO box recently and just was asking how the employees were doing. I've developed a relationship with them and I don't know how it came up, but they started talking about how the unemployment 
was really fascinating to watch because they were, quote, catching some people that had, you know, P.O. boxes there that were getting like multiple pieces of mail under different names. And they were suspecting that there are people cheating the unemployment system. I don't know if that's true. They don't know if it's true. But reflecting on it, it's like, yeah, I'm sure some people are scamming the system. But are they doing that out of emotional desperation? Probably. You know, like, who am I to judge? Like, it's frustrating to see people take advantage of systems because you, you're concerned that those that take advantage of these things are going to screw it up for the rest of us who aren't taking advantage of it. But I also have compassion for people that steal things and commit all these forms of theft. It's like, I just think there's so much financial desperation out there and some people don't know how else to get by. You know, it's like a lot of us are completely unaware of how other people suffering and it's unfortunate that there is gaslighting and it's unfortunate that there's so much judgment from even our friends. That whole mindset of, oh, you just need to shift your perception and get into a higher vibration. It's like, maybe that works for some people, you know, like there are some people that truly believe in visualization and manifestation. And I've gone through those periods as well. I don't not believe them, but I haven't found them to work for me. So when someone makes it seem like it's really that easy, I'm like, well, that's really great. That's worked for you, but it hasn't worked for me. And so I'm not going to depend on it. I'm not going to sit around like I have before (laughs) thinking I can manifest my way to financial comfort. And truly, I often don't know how I get into certain positions financially. Sometimes I'm in a place of abundance and I'm like, wow, this is nice. Like, I don't know. There was a period just like I think earlier this year where It was the same like money was coming to me from all these sources. I was like, whoa, unexpected check, new job opportunities. People wanted to hire me. Like it was just like flowing to me. Awesome. But I don't know how long that will last. I've also gone through phases where I just didn't have a lot of money. And no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't make it work. And it felt really frustrating and scary. And it's like, I'm very grateful for those experiences because they've taught me that sometimes it isn't fully in our control. Sometimes it isn't as easy as it seems. And it does feel frustrating to see people make it seem like it's so easy when we, as going back to what I said in the beginning, that there's just so many variables. So that's how I want to leave this off is just to encourage everybody to be gentle with yourself and to be kind and compassionate to other people, recognizing that you might not fully understand their circumstances and how they got there. And it's okay if somebody wants to handle their finances finances differently than you. If you're frustrated about a systematic perspective on finances, a political issues and policies, then go get involved. Get involved with the policies. Like you can petition, you can get involved with your local community, you can educate yourself on what's going on with the government and see where you can make a change there. There are avenues and outlets for you. And I actually think that's a much better outlet for your time and energy. So don't waste your time judging other people. Use that time and put it into making a change. I think that's wonderful advice and a great note to end on is that if you believe in something like a $15 minimum wage federally across the entire nation, you believe in universal basic income in your community, you believe in perhaps a redistribution of wealth through different tax structures for the wealthy to put more money back into our local communities. As Whitney said, advocate, vote, find out which politicians and which 
bills and which things that you can get behind. Because I'm very passionate about this topic in the sense that I would like to see more opportunity, fairer wages, and a redistribution of wealth in our society. Because I believe that if we don't do some of these things, there is a potential for some really complicated, destructive things that might happen in our society. That's my opinion sociologically. But to that point, we're curious, as always, dear listener, what are your perspectives? Not just on finances or how you perceive money. We always love to hear those things. But these specifically these subjects of wealth inequality, the gap in between class structures, classism, and a lot of these factors that are perhaps making it difficult for people to do better in life. We'd love to hear your perspectives on it, especially if you are in the finance industry or you're in the political field or you study sociology. We always love to hear other people's perspectives on these incredibly complicated and uncomfortable topics in the human pantheon of life. You know, We like to dig into these things because Whitney and I are ignorant to a lot of things. And when I use the word ignorant, I want to clarify that as, as we're getting to the end here. Uh, I don't mean that as a negative thing. Ignorant to me means just lacking knowledge or perspective on things. So yeah, we don't know what we don't know, right? And it's one of the reasons we do this podcast to explore these topics. So if you have perspectives, email us. Our direct email is hello at wellevator.com. Our email is hello at wellevator.com. And you can also give us ideas for upcoming episodes. We have some listeners and fans that do that. Hey, could you talk about this subject? So if there's anything that's burning, burning, burning in your loins that you want us to explore and discuss, shoot us an email, shoot us a direct message on all the social media platforms. We have a Facebook group. We are on Instagram. We're on TikTok. We also have a newsletter. So if you want to receive our weekly newsletter, go to our website. It's wellevator.com. Again, that's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter and you can access the show notes and the transcript that will have all of the information and articles we discussed today, including that Medium article about financial gaslighting. So with that, I'm off to a therapy appointment because Lord knows I need it. Whitney, always a pleasure, my dear. Love your new webcam. If you want to see how great Whitney looks, go to the YouTube version of this and check out her new webcam action. On that note, we adore you. We appreciate you, dear listener. And thank you, as always, for getting uncomfortable with us. And we'll see you in a couple days with a brand new, fresh, spanking episode of This Might Get Uncomfortable. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.